Hey everyone, it's Alan Smithson here with the XR for Business podcast. Today we're speaking with Sean Hurwitz, founder and CEO of Pixo VR, a Detroit-based company focused on VR software for training on processes, safety, and emergency response. Much like myself, Sean believes that extended reality or XR technologies can unlock human potential and realize limitless possibilities. He's assembled an all-star team of game-changing VR and AR engineers, and we're going to talk about how this translates directly directly into safety and training across all different industries, all that and more on the XR for Business podcast. Sean, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm really, really excited. I, I've been kind of using your your VR training video that you did in a it was in a basement, and you're training gas meter people on how to how to I guess use a gas meter. But I've been using that video to show kind of the, the diverse range of things that can be done within VR. Tell me, tell us about that. Tell us about Pixel VR. Yes, I am definitely on board with the way that uh, XR and training will definitely change uh, the ecosystem, make uh, people's lives safer and more effective and hopefully make more money too at at the end. So yeah, the the example that you give is a replication of a basement where technicians were in the traditional way of training, driving around, mirroring or shadowing older technicians as the evolving workforce and the younger generation coming in, and they were training the new employees, the new trainees, and they were looking for a way to do this training that would be close to real life rather than drive around for for weeks or, or months on end. And they couldn't show, the problem was they couldn't really identify or show all the variances in the gas meters in, in these basements. So we, we did a multi-user randomized scenario of millions of different setups and scenarios of what these gas meters would look like and really expedited the training timeline. So Pixo, that's sort of the using your video as, as the example, but we started as a traditional console video game company, uh, moving quickly into mobile and enterprise, and then even quicker in 2016, into getting the first Oculus DK and starting to build enterprise VR training from that point forward. Go from making games, because uh, I just interviewed um, Arash uh, Kashmirian from Extality, and he was doing the same thing. They were making uh, virtual or augmented reality games for phones, and now they're making enterprise solutions. How did you make that shift from going to, from making games to enterprise? And was it simply a, a way of making money or just... What is the precipitating factor of going from making games to basements full of gas fitting technology? Well, money certainly plays a role, but really the mission to make people's lives better, to help improve the planet that we live on, being able to utilize the skill set that we've spent combined dozens of years, use the same skill set, even the same game engine, as you know, to develop interactive games, which is really what this training is to be able to replicate things that you either either were too expensive to do otherwise or just too risky to do. So once we figured out that we were able to create the scenarios in the field or in a basement, like you said earlier, and then actually make money doing it, serve the purpose and the mission, and also getting paid for it, solving problems rather than developing games and hoping someone will download it or purchase it. 
it's definitely one of those things that you you can do a lot more good with with these things now you know what kind of elements uh have you taken from the game production side uh, or or days and brought them in have you gamified these things are is there like a hidden thing where I can pull out a sword and start cutting things in half? Like, do you guys have any hidden Easter eggs in there? Maybe not Easter eggs, but something along those lines would be the randomization engine that we have. So every time you enter into an environment um, where, where applicable, which, which for us is the vast majority, where we randomize different hazards or, or defects or different things that you have to learn. As an example, uh, we developed a fall protection module for mostly the construction industry where you have to pick, you're up on an 80-story building, again, utilizing all environment 3D modeling scenarios that you would build in a, in a video game, and you put someone 80 stories above the ground on scaffolding, and they have to pick the right harness. So when the, the harnesses are, are randomized every time, you really have, have decision-making utilized there. We use a lot of game-level design as well, and if you pick the wrong harness, obviously you, you fall to your death, really, on this 80-story building. Good news is it's all virtual, so you learn your lesson one way or the other. So we utilize really all game uh, development techniques for that for that module and, and everything that we build, whether it be the design, whether it be the game level, whether it be the data analytics and reporting from the user management and understanding not only how to optimize these applications, but how did you do? It could be used at a competitive basis where you can compete against your previous training, the, the previous um, time that you went in, or against other coworkers. So many, many different game aspects used. Interesting. What are some of the data points you're collecting about users and learners, and how are you measuring success with this type of technology versus just a standard classroom or, or on-the-job training? What's the measurement of success? Well, like I said before, the, the ability to really have someone do something and interact in an environment through an active learning process, one of the best uses that we found for VR currently is an assessment. So let's just stick with this fall protection. How would you assess if somebody really understood what to do when they were up on this scaffold? This is a way to really test their skill set, and if they fail, they're able to fail at a low cost and at a, at a low risk scenario. So um, that's not something that you can do in a classroom. You can take a, a test, as you know, PowerPoint, we've used in the past. You can, you can take a three ring binder and study it, go through it, do a test, but it's not like actually doing it. So we track all the points, what they pick first, what they pick second, what they look at, where they go, all, all the data points that make up the story about whether that trainee actually knows what they're doing. And as you know, with VR um, and XR, really, with biometrics coming onto the scene here in the near future, you'll be able to track cognitive load and, and how their body actually uh, responds to those different training scenarios. Are things like uh, biometrics uh, becoming part of this, or is this kind of a future plan? Because I would think that being 80 stories up is kind of terrifying. People's heart rate must be going through the roof. Oh, it sure is. Yeah, I definitely think that biometrics um, is going to play a huge role in all of XR, specifically in this VR training, because you could use it then as an assessment tool, uh, not only on the individual trainee and the potential employee early on, could be used at an interview 
process early on in the cycle or later on? And did they get better? Are they more comfortable in these different situations? As well as to optimize the experience. So is it too much training? We recently developed a emergency response natural gas leak scenario where you're in the middle of a subdivision and again, utilizing multi-user, some AI uh, components, and a technician is, is faced with a potentially very serious gas leak that they have to eventually turn that gas off. Now, the training not only tells you about the individual, but it could also tell you about, is this just too much for an individual? Does it require two people? It could influence the real life training thereafter. So how do you measure that then? Like, how do you know whether somebody's ready? Well, we're currently not using the, the, any biometrics right now, but once the new hardware comes onto the scene and with, with uh, sensors in it that will track that person's cognitive load and body temperature, those kind of things, the results of that would tell you if this person's suited for that kind of role or not. The amount of data we can collect uh, from this and, and share is, is incredible. It's not just about trying to sell people more things, but if this data can be used to deliver training in a more efficient, effective way, I think this is the ultimate goal. It, it sure is. And, and, and really, the still being in that early adopter, early majority phase, and having yet crossed that chasm to, to the later, mid-later uh, majority, efficacy from this training, I think will mean everything will be where it becomes commonplace. So we found that we were, over the years, got good traction with the early adopters that were most likely going to adopt and, and integrate early technology no matter what. Um, I think we're moving into a little bit of that early majority. But I think for the late majority to really catch on, you're going to need real efficacy where it's, we, you can prove it's saving lives, um, it's improved training. You've saved a lot of money, and I think 2020 is a big year for that. I think we're at that crossroad. Yeah, I really, uh, truly agree with that. So you guys have been uh, working diligently on building out these scenarios and everything. What are some of the other ones? You've talked about fall protection, emergency response, gas fitting. What are some of the other ones that you guys are working on? Well, in the very near future, we, we got some nice press coming out soon with some of the ones that we're going to release. We have a first responder operations or hazmat where we have a spilled over gas tanker uh, for firefighters. Now, what the way that we develop these, Alan, is, for instance, our hazard recognition. We have hazard recognition, which are like OSHA standards that would be in a warehouse. But because we've productized that, that application, we could put hazard recognition on a construction site or, or in a hospital or in, or in a steel factory or an automotive factory. So we've productized the actual learning objective behind it and then can very easily flip the environments to be uh, address most industries. So when I say we have hazard recognition, it's really across multiple uh, recognitions. We have the natural gas leak emergency response that I spoke of already, fall protection, the inside meter inspection that we spoke about already. Now, just to back up for one second, the way that our platform works is our business model is we go to market and distribute the content through VARs or value-added resellers. We've also developed on the front end a content curation side of the platform that will allow other developers to monetize the content through our reseller network. So through, if you can imagine that all the amazing content that's been developed and the great developers out there, 
that don't have the sales side of things, our library, if you will, our content side is going to increase rapidly as we bring these other developers on. Amazing. That seems like a, a scalable way to do it. It is. I mean, we it, earlier on, when I say earlier on, meaning the last couple of years, we, we learned that we had a hard time selling to first responders or, or the construction companies or an oil and gas company because we didn't know what the pain points were for that training. So partnering with these uh, resellers who understand the pain points are much better at selling this training content into their industries. So that's why on the sales side, and then we're obviously automating all that through the platform. Incredible. Where can people find you? It's um, pixovr.com? Yep, pixovr.com. We, we tend to have presence at most of these different trade shows that we go to, but pixovr.com is definitely the place. I think this is something that people will be listening in. The goal of this podcast is really to educate business owners and business communities to invest and, and start using this technology. So what would be the path for a new customer? So let's say, for example, somebody is in, I don't know, trucking, and they want to develop a, a trucking training. What is the path for them to go from reaching out on, on your website to kind of having the full thing delivered? What does that look like? We would start by having a conversation. First of all, is do we have the content that they're looking for? Are there other developers that may have already the content that, that they're looking for? And then we, we would most likely pair them up with one of our uh, resellers that would know, uh, have much more uh, knowledge and education in, in the trucking space in, in, in this scenario to really help integrate because as you know, the, uh, these business owners are finding the value of VR and XR. I mean, it's pr pretty quickly. It's, it's easy to put on a headset and go up 80 stories and look over the edge and say, wow, this is very impactful. This is, this is game changing to actually integrating it into their business. So how does it fit into their business model? Where, where do they put it? Who does the training? Who trains? How many headsets? And, and, and through our, Resellers, uh, we answer a lot of those questions because they have, they've already done it and they already know where to put it. They already know, you know who maintains it and what category it goes under. So we, we would be able to help not only on the content side, but also on the integration side. Integration side is actually becoming one of those challenges that people are, it used to be a technology problem. Can we make this technology work? Okay, now it works. Can we, can we make it do something we want? Okay, that works. How do we get it out and how do we scale it in a reasonable way? That's the next step of it. Over the years, we've been faced with multiple problems, really just problem solving and, and creating a product market fit. And integration sort of rose to the top. The hardware is getting better. People, the VR and the knowledge of VR is, and XR is, is becoming more available. And then without real strong efficacy, uh, you can't have integration before efficacy. So you have to integrate it. You have to start using it. Um, and so I think those problems, like we said before, will be, will, will be uh, addressed, not fully, but I think 2020 is looking bright. Interesting. I, I agree with you. I think now people are, are beyond the kind of shiny uh, object syndrome of VR uh, at the beginning, and they're looking for real solutions. And, you know, it's funny because I've got your web page open here, and it's just the video playing in the background. But you've got everything from a warehouse fall and all, you know, fire trucks and everything. It's, it's really incredible the work that you guys have done. And uh, I think in 2020, 
companies are, are starting to realize the power of it. What about like numbers? When somebody says to you, from a number standpoint, this is going to cost X amount, what is my return? How do you deal with those questions? Well, I think it's a good question because that means that they have a use case or they've identified a pain point or, or a reason to use it. One of our clients uh, works with a very large uh, auto manufacturer, being here in Detroit, obviously, that's in our backyard, that were sending engines around the world to train on the engines, replace a timing belt or a filter or something like that. So you can already see where the value of VR is because we took the CAD of the engine model and replicated that and made it fully interactive and multi-participant. So they can train the trainees or the technicians all around the world without having to send the engine out. So you could back into an ROI pretty quickly. Well, how much does an engine cost? How much does an engine cost to ship? How many were we shipping out? And then how much does a standalone headset cost? And how much did the application cost? And so you can see right there in that example of immediate ROI. Yeah, absolutely. Something that we've seen is in VR, you're creating these assets for training, but those same assets can be also used for marketing or different divisions. Are you seeing that? Because what we realize is that usually one arm doesn't talk to the other and there's very little crossover there. But as you start suggesting these things, like, hey, you just spent X amount making all these models of, of these things for your training. Would this be something that they could do um, into retail or, or marketing? Well, you and I both know that absolutely is possible. The, the question isn't can you, it is do they? For VR, XR, all things under this umbrella, any adoption is great. So early on, anyone that was interested in it, we would work with them and try to license them some content. Yes, though. The answer is yes. At, at a high level, that it, it can be used. And we, and we are starting to, I mean, we're starting to promote it because when they look at costs for one department or one division, depending on how large the company is, then we try to promote them that you could leverage this asset, um, get more out of it. In different categories, yes. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We we try to do that as well, but it's one of those things that they're like, yeah, that's great, but dealing with the marketing department is a whole different ball of wax. It's crazy. It, it definitely is, yeah. And and a lot of innovation departments are the ones reaching yeah, out first. Yeah, absolutely. The the problem is you get you with the innovation departments. They're they're usually they want cutting edge things, and it ends up getting stuck in pilots. They get a, a small budget for a pilot, and then. They, there seems to be a disconnect between the innovation department of the company and actually deploying real solutions. That's true. But I think as we understand integration mm -hmm. better and, and as we solve those problems, we can help the innovation department because what we found was we did some projects with innovation departments and, and we didn't know ourselves how they would integrate it. And they certainly don't. So the more we've learned, the more we lean on our reseller subject matter experts, the better we're getting and the more traction we're getting. I guess one thing to consider when, when doing this, you mentioned standalone headsets. Clearly, people want this. Clients are saying, hey, I want to move to a standalone headset. But the trade-off of fidelity versus that, what are you guys seeing with, with let's say, the Oculus Quest, for example? Yeah, you know, it's, it depends also on the type of company. We work with uh, insurance companies where they want to take 40 headsets and put them in the trunks of 40 different agents and have them go on site at, at a construction site and, and do this type of training. They're just not going to take a PC tethered based unit and throw it in their trunk and, and go set it up. So 
in that scenario, the standalone, the Quest or other would work very well. Where you have training facilities and you have the staff or the employees, trainees coming into that facility to train, then of course, a unit that's stationed and and you could get the, the higher quality on. But we found that the quality on standalone is definitely suffice and outweighs the barrier, for instance, this insurance company. They're just not going to do the other. So the quality uh, is definitely, definitely good enough. Interesting. Wow. It, there's so much to take in. And we, um, we've we got this, this idea. Both of us have thought about this a lot of how do we use this technology as efficiently as possible. And one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is, is a, similar to our business model as well, and we're going to have to talk offline on how to work together on this, but distributing the content through value-added resellers and also reselling content because making quality VR content and AR content is expensive. And being able to share the, those costs across multiple companies seems like the only way to kind of really grow the industry. It is. That's definitely something that's a little newer for us. We, we just are finishing some, some of the tools within the platform that will be able to ingest other content and then monetize it. We've created this ecosystem of taking it from content development that we're now calling content curation because it could really come in a number of different ways, all the way through an end user license. So we feel like we've put this ecosystem and this process together and now just continue to automate it through the tools. So whether it's other people's content or we're developing our own content, we even have tools that would expedite the content development from four other developers, whether it be randomization engine, a multi-user engine, or art environment packs, that we would work with other developers to help expedite the development if they didn't have existing content. So what would that look like from your standpoint? Would that be a license uh, fee or how would that work? We haven't monetized those tools yet like that. We would rather just work with the developer to help develop because we're after the content. So we would work with them on those licenses or, or even the use of those tools in order to get these applications or the content. So we have resellers and their clients that are currently looking for content. So if we would work with other developers and provide these tools to help expedite that development. So so in short, we don't have a toolkit that we license out currently, but we would definitely work with other developers to use those tools. That's something that I think is kind of one of those things in this XR industry. It seems like everybody's willing to help each other. And that's an amazing thing in an industry that we're still at the beginning, but I I keep saying this over and over again, this is not a net sum game. Our our industry is going to go from 10 billion to 500 billion in 10 years, creating by PwC's estimate over $2 trillion in enterprise value in the next 10 years. That's a lot of money to split. And there's not a lot of companies working at the level of Pixo. And uh, and it's really interesting to see that you're so open to, to working with everybody. It's great. Yeah, thanks. I definitely think that there's room for everybody. I've, I've yet to really, when you drill down and, and you have more of a sophisticated XR person looking into it, I've really yet to find two or three companies or more that are doing exactly the same thing. I feel like we all have our little niche, a little bit here, a little bit there, and can leverage each other and, and those attributes. Because in my opinion, the market really needs to grow in the next year or two. Now's the time. I'd hate for all of us 
Oh. Yeah, I agree. And that is one of the reasons I started this podcast, one, to learn personally, but also to uh, inspire and educate uh, business leaders to invest in this technology as fast as possible. Because the more knowledge we get out there, and if you look at the, the podcast, the way it works, it's done and it's tagged by industry. So if somebody's interested in retail, they type in retail and here's all the things for them. And if you're interested in airlines or training or whatever it is, unfortunately, training comes up in pretty much everyone because it is the killer use case of VR. But what is one problem in the world you want to see solved using XR technologies? The one problem with 15 seconds to think about it is I truly believe that exposing people, trainees, people learning a different skill especially if it's dangerous, exposing them to that environment, whether you're a doctor or a construction worker or a firefighter, before being in that environment for real, whether it be crowd management, I think that solving that problem or allowing someone to be exposed to a scenario before they actually have to go in it will absolutely make the world a better place. Well, Sean, this has been really, really a great interview and thank you. Is there any final words you want to share with anybody? So if there are developers out there that have content or want to develop content or are interested in monetizing that, uh, get a hold of us. Otherwise, I really appreciate it, Alan. I look forward to uh, following up and staying in touch. I will uh, hit you up in Detroit. Motor City, here we come. Yes, sir. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startup studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, -on -one, one hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions. We're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business 
and education.